Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 37. And if this is your first time joining us because you're some kind of a bit of a wackadoodle, or maybe you're not because you start in the middle of the pack, welcome. Welcome. And Ginger says hello too this week. So, more exciting things for us this week. Finally, the concert we've bought tickets for months ago is this January. Friday. Was it January? It was January. So we're going to go see... Gojira and Mastodon and Lorna Shore this Friday night after this episode's released. We're super excited. I'm excited to see Gojira live again. Yes. I've been wanting to see them live ever since we saw them for the first time at Knotfest well, back in back 2019. Then, we didn't really know who they were. Right. But yeah, I'm excited for Lorna Shore yeah. and Gojira, of course. And, you know, Mastodon's pretty good too. I've never seen them live, so they'll be. Interesting to see, too. Yep. Interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to shout out to a newer show that's out there. It's called The Remedial Scholar. He's one of the Dans that I brought up before. He does history as well, too. He's only three episodes in. He's done an episode on dogs and how they were used in the military and throughout history for war. And he has released earlier this week a second part of a two-part episode on pirates, which I need to get caught up on. And it's actually pretty good. It's right up your alley. Mm hmm The kind of history stuff. Yep. Cool. So, anything fun with you so far? No. All right. So, what do you have for us this week, then? Uh, I'm doing a little bit of folklore. Oh, so am I. Yeah? Yep. What you doing? I'm doing a ghost story from West Virginia, and then I'm going over somewhat of a type of undead creature that was using the name of this ghost story from West Virginia. When I heard about this, I was like, okay, I need to do this story, even though it was like very short, but I wanted to bring it to everybody anyhow. I didn't even huh. want to want to wait for clearance bin or October because it's just that goofy. So are you ready to get started then? I am. All right, let's get going. All right. So this week I will be talking about banshees. Okay. When you hear the word banshee, what do you think? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um... A ghost type in the phasmophobia that I play with a friend of the show, Noodle. Noodle. And I think there's banshees in Diablo 4 as well, too. There are. But I'm sure that's not the case. These aren't the type of banshees you're going after. I hear banshee and think Susie. We're not the same. Okay. Well, I don't listen to Susie and the banshees <laughs> as much as you do. I only play it. Hear it. Not. When you play them off yep. your vinyls, yep. it's the only time I ever really hear it or, you know, you use my spotify and attract this player yeah but we're also not talking about that banshee either i'm sure that's gonna disappoint your sister too <laughs> eh, eh, it's whatever so banshees have been long intertwined in irish culture and fairy tales i don't happen to see the fairy tale side of it because of you know anything you know about them they're like doom and gloom and right you know but that's just me the first stories of banshees appeared in the 8th century and were seemingly based on the tradition of women that would go to funerals and sing, like, 
songs to help those that were mourning. Okay. Back then, those women were known as keeners. And they were also known to accept alcohol as form of payment for their singing. And the Irish church had considered this as bartering, which was a contradiction of God. So it was a sin to sing for booze. Therefore, they were often said to be sinners, and their punishment for their sin was being doomed to become a banshee upon their own death. So what exactly is a banshee? Based on Irish folklore, she's a disembodied spirit and an omen of death that screams, which they call keening. And that scream is to let you know that there's an imminent death in the family ahead. It's also said that each Irish family has its own banshee. So there's a whole bunch of them. I'm sure. According to mythology, if you spot one, she'll vanish into a cloud of fine mist or smoke, and that the action has a sound with it, and apparently when they vanish, it sounds like a bird flapping its wings. They're able to roam the Irish countryside, seemingly being pulled towards the person that's dying. Uh, they often hover above the ground. They glide over terrain like fogwood, okay. like just kind of hovering. They're said to peer into windows of the person who is going to die and scream. Banshees can take on numerous forms, looks-wise. But there's one thing that they all have in common, and that's that they carry a silver hairbrush. Or a comb. Okay. Which is weird. There, I couldn't find anything about the, the relevance of that, but it's, it is what it is. So she can appear as a headless woman that carries a bowl of blood while wearing nothing from the waist up. A pale woman with long red hair wearing a white dress. An old woman with red eyes and long white hair wearing a green dress. A beautiful woman wearing a shroud. An old woman with long gray hair wearing all black with her, ca with her face covered by a veil. A woman with long silver hair wearing a long silver dress. And those that claim they have seen them says that they vary in height. So there's a range between like a foot and four feet. As a height? Yes. And they say that the, the smaller ones, the ones that are like a foot, are the old ones. And the ones that are closer to four feet are the, the not new, but the younger right. ones. So you can punt the old banshees like far, <laughs> far away from your home. Kick them like a football. Mm -hmm. The old ones, being as small as they were, is what made people call them fairy women. All right. So I could see maybe that's how they got fairy tale out of it's it. It's a very good possibility where that now comes from. Yeah. They were also said to appear as weasels, hares, and crows. And some feel as though it's due to witchcraft and witch familiars in Ireland, because that's a, a big thing over there. Right. Especially back then. Obviously, banshees symbolize doom and gloom. However, not all of them were hateful beings. There are some that had such close ties with their family that they just kind of stuck around to watch over them, you know, after they sinned and turned into a banshee, basically. So now they're stuck watching their family sin for all eternity now. When these particular banshees appear, they are beautiful and alluring. They still sing their songs, but it's less like screams and more like soft weeping. So almost like Lauren Show, we're going to go see on Friday. No. Screams and... They're, they're just screams, yeah. <laughs> There's no soft weeping. The songs are filled with love for their families and are heard a few days prior to a loved one's death. Most of the time, the song is the only is only heard by the person that's going to die. So basically, you hear this song, mm -hmm. you're, you're fucked. Your days are numbered. 
Now for the doom and gloom banshees, they're often described as scary or angry, and these are the ones that we have come to think of. When these banshees were alive, they had reasons to hate people, their family included, which is why they often appear distorted and terrifying. The screams from these banshees are just that, blood-curdling screams. They are still singing, but instead of mourning a death, they are reveling in the fact that someone that made them mad is about to die. If there were a bunch of banshees together, this was associated with the impending death of somebody holy or of great importance, like a wealthy clan member. Yeah. Although I don't know why they would get a lot just for them. But anyways, they're also sometimes referred to as washerwomen, since there were stories of them washing the clothes of those near death so that they had something clean to wear once they did die. Some sources said that it was a person's everyday clothing that was washed, while others have stated it was a death or burial shroud. But to me, they go hand in hand. Like, it's whatever the fuck you're going to wear when you die, you know? In the Middle Ages, Irish people believed that the presence of banshees were there solely to watch over the families of Emerald Isle. More notably, they were to protect the descendants of the original Milesian families. The Milesians were the final race to settle in Ireland as they were descendants from an older Irish race. The Milesians took death above ground, and the gods took death below ground. They started, like, burial mounds and fairy trees, which I tried to find something on that to figure out what it was, and I couldn't. But the fairy trees were said to be portals to the other world. Whatever that is. (laughs) Those from Ireland that moved to the U.S. long ago are said to have brought their banshees with them, which makes me kind of wonder... Like, if the folklore is true, and they usually stick to their families or the people they hated, once that person and all of their relatives are dead, like, do they finally get to, like, go on and have peace? The Banshee? I don't know. Yeah. At any rate, the Banshee was, and still is, a highly believed in creature in Ireland. I say still is because the older generation still living in Ireland regard this entity as truth. They still tell the tales, they still try to live a good, sinless life so as to not anger the gods, so they won't turn into one themselves. I'm sure they tell the the tales to their kids and grandkids and try and keep that that whole thing alive. Yeah, try to keep the lore alive. They keep the little bastards in shape now. Yeah. Or maybe. But yeah, that's mine. Very, very short. Unfortunately, doing the research on this... It's all very repetitive. Yeah. Like, I was reading web pages directly from Ireland. Right, and a lot about of copy this. paste from one page to yep. the next. Yep, it sure is. Here, copy, just copy it and make it a little bit different, basically. Yeah, and I didn't even bother looking at the Wikipedia because I'm sure it was all the same shit anyways. Or that's where it all came from. Well, that's, that's possible. But yeah, that's, that's a little bit about banshees. Well, it's more about banshees than I ever known, other than them being an annoying creature in Diablo 4 and Phasmophobia that <laughs> wants to kind of be of annoyance to not actually show itself or do anything in game, but not as nearly as annoying as Revenants are that annoys the shit out of Noodle and I when we play Phasmo together, even though I'm the, ex- the thermometer expert in that game. Oh, you probing the bitches. Yeah, not exactly. Not, not a rectal thermometer? No. <laughs> But before we get into that, this is about a cow. A cow. 
Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know your best friend's daughter, Madison, that she calls Dr. Doolittle, uh, might she, enjoy this she story. She is Dr. Doolittle. What's up, Maddie? So, you ready to hear about the Revenant Co. of West Virginia? Yep. All right. Imagine you are a student at West Virginia University in Morgantown, and it's late, it's dark, and you're just trying to return to your dorm as quickly as possible. As you pass Woodburn Hall, as the clock tower gives you a slight fright as it rings out the hour. After collecting yourself as the bells ring and echo through the night, a new sound that is much closer sends a chill down your spine. The sound is a faint ghostly moo. Even being in the middle of campus, you know there are no cows in the area. This could be the sounds of the Revenant Cow of Morgantown, West Virginia you just heard. As the story goes, a group of students from West Virginia University wanted to play a prank and place a cow inside the clock tower of Woodburn Hall. After acquiring said cow from a university barn, they then broke into the building and led the cow upstairs to the clock tower, painting the cow purple and leaving a nursery rhyme on bedsheets sewn together. I have never seen a purple cow. I hope I never see one. But I can tell you, I'd rather see one than be one. With their prank in place, they quickly rushed down to ground level to see the reactions they would get for their prank. As Mills laughed and looked on at the helpless cow moving in distress, staff probably didn't find it as funny. Because cows, as many farm animals, can walk upstairs but not back down them. Stairs don't exist in nature and with the position of their eyes on cows, they aren't able to see the stairs that are made for humans to climb up and down. Oh no... The purple cow of Woodburn Hall was stuck in the clock tower for an unknown amount of days till it either died or was killed off by staff and brought down in pieces. Staff, students, and visitors have claimed to hear the mooing to this day when visiting the West, West Virginia University campus. Now, a lot of the stories, they come and say they did have a giant barbecue, but there is no history of that. And one of the ways they said this said cow died was from lead poisoning probably looking at the walls inside of Woodburn Hall. Aww. But I just found this ghost tale so goofy that I wanted to share it now. Huh. Because I've never heard of anything like this before. Yeah, that's strange. So when I first heard this story, I was curious to know exactly what is a revenant since it called it the revenant cow of Morgantown. Yeah. Due to the success of Leonardo DiCaprio's movie of the same name, The Revenant, this might come to mind first. The term revenant is derived from the French word revenir or to return. Revenants are a type of ghost in folklore that return from the grave to seek revenge or complete an important task when they suddenly died. Earlier versions of revenants in medieval times, it is the belief that revenants only came from those that were quite wicked in life. Living this way could be what had left them open to corruption by evil forces or the wrath of a saint. And when they would return from the grave, they would set out and spread disease and mischief. One of the other beliefs of this is that those who were buried near or on the day of significant dates for Christians caused revenants to rise. It wouldn't be until much later that they would take on developing a purpose of completing an important task, such as irritating me to no end in Diablo 4 when they shoved their sword through my druid to heal itself. <laughs> Only the vampiric ones. Mm -hmm. But, and that also makes sense too when we come across the plague ones too. Yeah. One of the stories of such behavior of revenants causing havoc took place in the 12th century in the writings of historian William of Newburgh. After a man who died suddenly in Buckingham was laid to rest on the eve of the Lord's ascension, even in death he would go and haunt his wife and lay on top of her, crushing her with his weight. This would go on for several nights until she would have her room guarded by others to scare him off by shouting. Now unable to reach his wife, he would return to harass his brothers in a similar manner until they got fed up with it and guarded themselves the same way. 
and since the Revenant couldn't cause his mischief, he would ride amongst the animals. One of the abilities of Revenants is that they can reanimate a corpse, which generally was their own, to complete their tasks. Now, you might think this makes them turn to be a zombie, but this does not. Zombies are actually under the control of a necromancer or a bokor in Haitian cultures, and they are basically slaves to whoever controls the zombie. Gotcha. Revenants are self-aware. They are human-like intelligence, basically. Revenants would only appear at night, even though there is one variation where a pair of them can be spotted during sunset carrying their coffins on their shoulders at sunset. And these same two also were known to shapeshift into either a hound or a bear. And these were the two revenants were two peasants that were caught stealing grain. Huh. So they're the true druids mm -hmm. with their shapeshifting asses. Yeah. Okay. But not as fast as mine. <laughs> One of the other tales of revenants I found was um, a man that was kept returning to a dinner that he wasn't invited to after death, basically. Oh. And uh, one of this, this next one that came out of the Netherlands, which I found a little bit more interesting to share. In the 11th century, a priest in Deventer would be horrified to discover the dead attending mass at night in a church that had fallen into disrepair. Going to his bishop for advice on what to do to stop them from going to mass, he instructed the priest to simply stop them from entering the church. Which didn't work out so well for the priest, and he was thrown out by the dead. So they were bouncers too? Apparently. Shit! Yeah, that was one of the other things of the ability of Revenants that can be super violent, too. Oh. Towards the living. Like, well, they're out to cause mischief and spread disease, basically. Yeah. Most people wouldn't want to lay a hand on a man of God, but clearly the dead didn't care and were going to attend their version of Mass and nothing was going to stop them. The bishop would repeat his orders after hearing of the priest's failed attempt the first time. The next night, he would wait for the dead in hiding to come again for mass, and, and the dead would discover him, and this would bring him to his untimely end. You would think they would tear him from limb to limb and drink his blood, as reverence would no be known to do as well. But instead, they burned him on the altar of the church. Oh. Even with the revenants said to have superhuman strength and speed and the ability to shapeshift, it can be stopped by removing the heart and burning the body in the grave along with dismembering all limbs or just its head. Also, just like vampires, driving a stake through the heart of a corpse that the Revenant would possess would also stop it from rising from the grave. Huh. I can't help but wonder if also, like, in the, the New England Vampire Panic episode when I brought up and I don't remember where it was that I brought it up where they talked about burying the coffins upside down so yeah. they dig through the ground first. It was not also a way to stop revenants from raising from the grave. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. With so many tales of revenants and the variations of their abilities, I came across what is said to be an eyewitness account from a monk of one of these revenants that we talked about in a previous episode. Since there was no name actually given, so I'm going to, for the sake of clarity, tell the story. So when I speak of the Revenant, I named him Albert. Okay. And I will reveal the location at the very end of this tale. Okay. Albert, who fled York after breaking the law, would seek refuge in a castle named Anantus in Northumberland and make his home there. Albert would end up taking up work within the castle of Nantes, and instead of correcting his evil ways, it would only make him stronger. He ended up getting married, and this soon would be the end of him. After hearing rumors of his young wife sleeping around with another man from around the castle, he would become vexed with jealousy, and he would tell his bride he was leaving on a trip and would be gone for a few days. 
He would later return that evening and with the help of a chambermaid would sneak into their home and hide in the rafters to see if the rumors were true with his own eyes and if it was to bring shame to his marriage bed. As Albert watched his wife and a neighbor commit adultery and forget his purpose while he was hiding, he fell from the rafters hitting the ground next to him, next to them, mortally injuring Albert. His wife's lover would leap up and escape, and his wife would help him up from the ground as he recovered from his fall. He would berate her for adultery and threaten her with punishment for it, but she blamed his jealousy on his injuries. Albert wouldn't recover from his injuries, and a monk would be called to give the jealous husband to absolve his sins and take communion before he passed. But he refused to do so until the next day as he was still thinking of what just had happened to him and put it off until tomorrow. Well, tomorrow wouldn't come for Albert as he died that night. Even though not being made Christian by taking communion and absolving his sins, Albert was still given a Christian burial. The following night after his burial, Albert would return from the grave while being followed by a pack of wild dogs as they held as he spread disease among the castle grounds of Anantus. Along with a pack of dogs and spread of disease in his wanderings of the courts around the homes and the castle walls, if you were caught by Albert the Revenant, he would violently attack you. The people of the castle would make sure their doors were locked and would not leave for any reason after dark until sun rose, after Albert the Revenant returned to his grave. Due to the nightly attacks from Albert, the town would soon start to be deserted and something had to be done. Two brothers decided to take matters into their own hands after their father became ill and died from the sickness that the revenant known as Albert assaulted the town with nightly and they and dug him up after he returned to his grave that morning. As they unearthed the corpse, they would find it bloated and black and blue without fear. They would pierce the body with their shovels as blood, which is more likely the liquefied remains pouring out of the body instead. Yeah. The two brothers would take Albert's body outside of the village as they quickly constructed a funeral pyre to burn the body on before he woke up. But first, they had to remove his heart. As, like I said, the current believes you have to remove the heart to burn the body of a revenant. Using their spades again, they would break open, break open the chest of Albert and pull his heart out before setting him on fire and bringing the end of the vampire of Onnit Castle of Northumberland. No shit. Mm-hmm. There was no actual castle in Aptus in history, so... They believe that this story came from Onwick Castle of Northumberland, which is from episode 23, It Will Kill You, when I talked about their poison gardens. Yep, the Onwick poison gardens. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's why. Okay, so that's why you said you weren't going to say its yeah. location until the end. Yep. That's cool. Yeah, it was like, how do I close this? And like somehow this just popped up in my searches, and I was like, okay, that's how I'm closing this episode. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So now when you take me to the Death Gardens, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have something else to to look for, yeah. which is Albert. Maybe. Did Albert have a name other than the one you gave no. him? No. Um, within the tales, this, like, in the little bit that I read, it was much longer because it's, like, super medieval text is, like, super wordy. Yeah. So that was the best I could do to cut it down to make it sense to fit modern day English, basically. No, that's awesome. That poor cow. Mm-hmm. The purple cow. Yeah. Now, I also got... Isn't that a type of ice cream? Yes, it is. So, I also <laughs> looked up why... Or I have heard the term purple cow many times before. Okay. So, I looked up what the term purple cow looks is. It's a term in business for an item that is so unique that it's going to stand out from everything else. Just because of how ordinary cows look. Huh. In a herd. 
but yeah. you would notice a purple cow in the herd. True that. So this is where the term purple cow comes from. Huh. The more you know. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good job, babe. Because you were having a hell of a time mm -hmm. finding any any information out about that. Right. So, good job. Thanks. Yeah. But revenants also appear in like movies, video games, Dungeons and Dragons. It, it's big in. There's even a game from 1996 called The Revenant, basically. And one of the screenshots says, "What's it like to feel like it to be dead?" <laughs> it's one of the things that I came across when I was looking up stuff for revenants. Huh. Other than being a pain in the ass on Phasmo and in Diablo. They're not that bad in Diablo. Only when I'm trying to do something super important and then they get me with their damn sword. True that. But anyhow, you know, this episode's not going to be this long this week, everybody. But that, nope. That going to have to be every single one. It has to be almost an hour. No, sir. Or some shows be like three hours. That. 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 Nope. Long just loses i lose my interest real quick mm -hmm. anyways so i think it might be time we close the emporium up for the day i agree so until next time remember to creep it real real stupid like legacy okay bye bye please check out our website at macabemporiumpodcast.com join our facebook group by searching macabre emporium like and subscribe on youtube at macabre emporium podcast Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. Some of the other tales of Revenants I found, like one invited him himself to dinner that he wasn't invited to. Like that burp wasn't invited into this recording. Shit, I guess. There you go. Now I got a blooper for you. Yeah, buddy.